Thank you, Ernie. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And our focus will be on verses 1 to 15. We typically don't give a lot of attention to the Gospel of Mark this time of year. We're far more familiar with Matthew, Luke, and John. And our most familiar Christmas stories come from Matthew and Luke. And each Gospel writer was deliberate in how he chose to begin writing his work. While it's always about Jesus, they choose to emphasize different dimensions of who Jesus is and why Jesus came. In Matthew, he locates Jesus within the story of Israel. These people descended from Abraham, and he shows where Jesus fits inside of that story and how, through Jesus, That light of Israel is reaching even Gentiles like those mysterious magi we discussed last week. Luke chooses to begin in the temple in the days of King Herod. He locates it historically in a particular moment. And he is very deliberate about the background that he provides in his gospel. John reaches all the way back to creation to describe Jesus as the Word who was in the beginning with God and who was, in fact, God. Mark goes straight to the public ministry of Jesus. Goes straight to it. No time for Bethlehem. No time for the background to why Jesus came. He goes straight to the emergence of Jesus upon the public scene. And to do that, he sets the stage inside of the wilderness. The wilderness. Why does he do that? Maybe because in his own historical context... Israel was in a place of wilderness. While wilderness is both literal, there's a literal wilderness here, out of which Jesus emerges to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. It is also symbolic. Wilderness is also symbolic of when God's people don't know where they are, and they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, and they don't know exactly where they're going or how they're going to get there, and they don't know exactly what God is doing and why God is allowing what He is allowing. Anybody been there before? Maybe right now? Mark wrote his gospel in the midst of desperate and volatile times. Far more desperate and far more volatile than 2021, I can assure you. 
In Mark's day and time, the Jewish people had already committed or were contemplating outright rebellion against their Roman occupiers. Matters were about to get very violent. And Rome, as we know, did not take kindly to rebellion. And they could be brutal in suppressing opposition, as they would, in fact, be when they sacked Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D. It's around that time that the Gospel of Mark is written. All kinds of emotion and political intrigue and volatility is about to boil over. And so we might expect, well, of course, Mark is going to want to address that, right? I mean, he wants to be relevant. So naturally, he's going to talk about the temple, Jerusalem, who the leaders are, the Romans. He's going to to sort out what the gospel of Jesus Christ has to say in the midst of that, right? I mean, that's, that's how he should be relevant. But he doesn't say anything of the sort. What are his first words? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Huh. What do we make of that? Maybe what we need, as we also face desperate and volatile times, is exactly what Mark gives us here. We need to recognize the wilderness that we are in. Not so that we can just get out of the wilderness, but so that the wilderness becomes less bewildering. And I pray that through this message, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in and through the Word of God, you would feel less bewildered about the wilderness that you may be in personally, that we may be in as a nation. We don't get plucked out of the wilderness. That's not how it works. But God can meet His people and speak to His people and provide for His people and make Himself known to His people. So that the wilderness becomes less bewildering. And what we need to see in these verses, above all, is this truth. Our time on earth will remain a bewildering wilderness until we see that the curtains of heaven have been torn open The curtains of heaven have been torn open to spotlight the only person, the one and only person who can show us, who can show you and show me the way to the promised land. And that person's name is Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God.
what you need, what I need, what this world needs more than anything else is to see what God has done in Jesus in tearing the curtain open to reveal His Son and say, look at Him! Never mind Rome. Never mind Jerusalem. Never mind Washington, D.C. First and foremost, look at Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's where we need to look. May we see Him. May we worship Him. May your wilderness become less bewildering. Let's read together verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of all that's happening in Mark's time, he says that if you want to really understand the world, if you really want to understand what is most important in the world, take a look at this wilderness and take a look at what God is doing beside this muddy river. Meet God at this crazy man beside this muddy river. And it is only there that you will understand who God is and what God is doing in the world. And when we meet God there, we can reframe how we see wilderness. And what we see is the wilderness is a place to prepare It's a place to prepare, a time to prepare, a season to get ready. To get ready. The beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel, literally of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Because this good news is both proclaimed by Jesus Christ and its content is him, his person, and his work. It is the good news about Jesus the Messiah. I love this beginning. I love this beginning. Don't we need some good news? Well, here's the beginning. Here's the beginning. To understand it, we have to reach back to the prophets. 
And Mark has spliced together both a quotation from Isaiah and Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Who will prepare your way. Who will get ready. And it takes the form of a voice crying out, not just one calling, but one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. He's coming. Get ready. And so whatever wilderness you find yourself in right now, no matter how bleak things look, no matter how desperate you are, remember that the wilderness is a place where our desperation, our utter desperation, meets God's unique provision. This is where he reminds us, I am your God. You are my people. I haven't brought you here for nothing. I have not abandoned you. You are mine and I am yours. Get ready. Get ready. And what form does that preparation take? Look at John the Baptist. Look at how John the Baptist sets the stage. He knows that the stage isn't set for him. It's not about him. The spotlight isn't on him. It's all about preparing for the one who comes after him. But how different is it for you and for me when we're in the wilderness, right? Woe is me. What is happening? What's happening to the church? What is God doing in this country? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is he allowing this to happen to me? We know how to play that game, don't we? That's what comes naturally to us as fallen sinners when we're in the wilderness. We're just like our spiritual ancestors, Israel. Moses, did you just bring us out here to die? If we were going to die, we would prefer to have died back in Egypt, okay? We'd rather not die out here in the middle of nowhere. That's how we think, but that's not how John the Baptist thought. He knew something better, someone greater is coming. So how did he get ready? He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, to prepare to meet God in the wilderness. Repent. Repent. What does that mean? That means to turn from sin to God. 180 degrees. It means that you love God more than you love your sin. Repent. You're not ready to meet God. You're not ready to move past woe is me until... You repent. And in that repentance, there is forgiveness of sins. What you need, what I need more than anything else, what this world needs more than anything else, forgiveness of sins, God's mercy, God's grace. But if you take the approach, well, I'm not the problem. They're the problem. He's the problem. It's not me. I, I'm not the problem. I'm not what's wrong in the world. Well, prepare to be stuck in the wilderness for a very, very, very long time. 
But if you repent, if you repent, if you acknowledge before I name that person as a problem or this thing as a problem or this issue as a problem, I am the problem. I am just as guilty as that person of rebellion against my Creator. We also see John's humility. He goes out in the wilderness and he's clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Believe it or not, this is not that, un- that unique. It sounds really weird to us. But he's dressed like someone who's living in the wilderness. He's dressed like a poor person. He's dressed like someone who goes from place to place and has to live off the land. And to this day, people still eat locusts, believe it or not. The point is not, well, he's crazy. The point is, his humility, that John the Baptist is not relying on the props of human civilization. He's not relying on the props of human pride. He's out there in the wilderness, totally dependent upon God and calling all of Jerusalem and all of Judea to meet him there. Are you ready to be humbled? If a pandemic didn't do it for you, maybe political turmoil will. If political turmoil doesn't do it for you, maybe personal hardship will. One way or another, God wants your attention. He wants my attention. Say, look. Look at me. All those things that you're pursuing that you think will give you joy, will give you satisfaction, they won't. Nothing in this world can satisfy you as only God can. Are you humble enough, like John the Baptist, to admit that, to acknowledge that? The other way to prepare, in addition to repentance and humility, is anticipation. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to get cynical these days. Anybody with me? We think, oh, well, here, we, here goes 2021, so much for hopes of a better year. Seems like we have all the same problems this year that we did last year. It could be that 2021 is going to be even worse than 2020. That's even possible. It's so easy to get cynical. But John the Baptist shows us that if you are to meet God in the wilderness, you need to anticipate that something is going to happen. God has not abandoned his creation. God is up to something. He may not tell us explicitly what he's doing. It may take time for us to fully understand that. But if we repent of our sins, if we humble ourselves before his holiness and his righteousness, then we're prepared to anticipate something. Don't give up on God. Don't give up. Anticipate. There is someone coming. God is doing something. Can you feel it? God is getting His people ready. And maybe it takes this wilderness. Maybe it takes this wilderness for you, 
for our church to get us to where God wants us to be. But it's not until we pass through a very dry, lonely, bleak, dark season that we're ready. Indeed, someone does come, as we read in verses 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The wilderness is a place to see. It's a place to see. Jesus comes forward. We're not told what family he came from. We're just told he came from Nazareth in Galilee. And he came to be baptized. He came to join with John, to answer John's call to repent, even though he had nothing to repent for. He came forward to identify himself with sinful people like you and like me, and to undergo this ritual that symbolizes repentance and turning and a new beginning. And it is in that moment that the curtains of heaven are torn open. And he sees this. And a voice from heaven says, you are my son. Notice how direct it is. If you read this account in Matthew, it will say, this is my son. In Mark, it says, you are my son, directly addressing Jesus. You you, with you, I am well pleased. Not with anyone else, with you. And he does this publicly so that all can see, this is my son. Do you see him? And this word, torn open, if you keep reading in the Gospel of Mark, and you get to chapter 15, and you read about what Jesus came to do ultimately, which is to die in our place. You read in Mark 15, verse 38, that the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from where the people were is torn in two. Same word. Same word. From top to bottom, symbolizing now you and I have direct access to God and His holiness, and His love, and His mercy, and His grace, all because of this man. Not because of anything in you, not because of anything in me, but because of Him. Do you see Him? Because remember this. Remember this. Jesus didn't just come so that we could go to heaven. He didn't come to gather God's people and take them to heaven. First and foremost, he came to bring heaven to earth. He came to bring heaven to earth. And it is not until heaven fills your heart and your life that you're ready for the heaven in the end. 
Here and now, it's available. He's available. Meet God. You want to know what God looks like? You want to experience God? You want to know Him? You want to enjoy Him? Look at Jesus. He is the beloved Son. He is the one in whom God is well pleased. The spotlight is on Him. Not on me. Not on you. And if I do anything behind this pulpit except put the spotlight on Jesus, I am derelict in my duty. It is about Him. We are about Him. Amen? We are about Him. See Him. But then look what happens next in verse 12. At once, at once, the Spirit sent Him out into the wilderness. And He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended Him. At once, the Spirit sent Him. And literally, it's through him. The Spirit casts him, drives him into the wilderness. After this glorious moment, he's, he's been affirmed by God the Father. And, and this glorious moment, when you decide to follow Jesus as led by the Holy Spirit, and you join Jesus in the waters of baptism, it's a glorious moment. Heavens are opened. And you're standing with Jesus to receive the same affirmation. This is my daughter. This is my son. I am pleased with you because you are one with my son Jesus. Right after that, at once, thrown into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because the wilderness is also a place to learn. A place to learn. Even Jesus, in his human nature, learned. Son though he was, we're told in Hebrews 5. He learned obedience by what he suffered. He learned in the wilderness before he goes and preaches the good news. Before he announces what God is doing. First, he enters into the wilderness himself. To do battle with his enemy, Satan. And what does God do? God provides for him. He attends to him with angels. One of the most powerful things you can do when you find yourself in a wilderness, one of the most powerful things you can do right now is to give thanks for God's provision. Don't underestimate the power of gratitude every single day. When you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, you can give thanks for today. Amen? You can give thanks for what you have right in front of you. No, you don't have everything you want. No, you wish you had more. Yes, you wish you had less of this, whatever that is in your life. But you can give thanks the wilderness is a place for God's people to learn that He is faithful and He can provide. Jesus learned that. Jesus models that for us. And if you join with Him, if you give your life to Him, if you confess Him as Lord, be prepared for the Spirit to send you to the wilderness as well. Not, not so that you can suffer. Not to make you miserable. God doesn't want to make you miserable. But God does want you to be totally and wholeheartedly dependent upon Him. And as fallen sinners, we're not ready for that. That's not our 
default setting. We need God to show us. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes God has to strip away the things that we've been leaning on, the things we've been relying on, to show us God is there. God is faithful. Trust Him. Then and only then is Jesus ready for what comes next. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The wilderness is a place to be strengthened. It's a place to be strengthened. It is on the other side of Jesus' wilderness experience, of being tempted and tried, that he is equipped and empowered to preach, to speak, to say, listen, now's the time. And we need that strength because look at what happens to John the Baptist. After John was put in prison, Mark doesn't go into any detail here about why he's put into prison. But he's put into prison. Clearly saying the kinds of things that John was saying got him in trouble. And if you say the kinds of things that John the Baptist was saying, you also will get in trouble. People don't like hearing that they need to repent. (laughs) People don't like hearing that they in and of themselves are not sufficient. That they in and of themselves are not enough. We want to believe that we are. But we are not. And you and I must repent. We are not ready. And to have the courage, to have the boldness to speak that as lovingly and as gently as possible. We need to be equipped. We need to be strengthened. And God can do that in the wilderness. And maybe right now when it feels like God's church is so confined and limited and we're trying to discern where is God moving? What is God doing? Maybe this is a season to be strengthened for when the day comes that we can speak more boldly. Maybe we need to be strengthened now. Notice that Jesus doesn't say the kinds of things that we might expect our caricature of Jesus to say or to do. To, to go around and say, you're fine just as you are. God loves you. Let me give you a hug. That's not what he says. He says, the time has come. This is the moment. And the word he uses for time There are different words in Greek for time, and there's a time that's chronology, chronos, that's the clock ticking, and then there's kairos, a moment filled with significance and meaning, and that's the word Jesus uses. This is the moment, not just a day, not just a a moment in time, but this is it. This is the season when God is doing what God has promised he would do. Namely, to meet his people and to redeem them once and for all and to defeat his enemies once and for all. 
Now. Not later, not when you want it to be. Now. And we are still in that moment, by the way. Why is that the case? Because the kingdom of God has come near. God's rule, God's reign. It's here. And it's not of this world. It it doesn't take the form of power that we are so deluded into thinking we need. And if our candidate or if our party or if our nation doesn't have the power that we think it needs, oh, it's hopeless. It's just hopeless. It's all over. No, we are kingdom of God people. Kingdom of God people. And the kingdom of God has ways of working in this world that go beyond what we can see and hear. Do you believe that? How do you receive it? Jesus, echoing John, says, Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Turn from your sins. Love God more than you love your sins. Believe the good news. Believe that Jesus can do for you what you can never do for yourself. Believe that what Jesus has done for you is totally sufficient for today and for tomorrow and into eternity. And the rest of Mark's Gospel will bear that out and show why that's the case. But for today, for today, Pray that God, by the work of His Holy Spirit, would meet you in your wilderness, would meet you in your time of need, and that in meeting you, in supplying what you need, in teaching you, in humbling you, in encouraging you, in pointing you to His Son, I pray that your wilderness would be less bewildering. All because heaven has been torn open for you and for me. He's available. You don't have to go look for Him. He's here. The person and work of the Holy Spirit who points you to Jesus, God's beloved Son. The spotlight is on Him. Don't let the world put the spotlight anywhere else. God has put his sovereign spotlight on his son. May we look to him for salvation and for our hope. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we confess that we can become so confused in this world. We can become so discouraged, so disheartened. But I praise you and I thank you for your word that leads us to lift up our eyes and to cast our eyes upon Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have all the grace and all the mercy, and all the love we could ever possibly ask for. And I pray that you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, would help us to cling to him, come what may. Help us to trust in him, 
Help us to believe that he is good and that he is in control as we wait for that climactic day when he will return to this earth and finish what he began. And until then, help us to live in faith and with hope. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.